Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We've got a ton of action for you today, but with me as always, the one-on-one save to my Manuel Neuer, Billy. Big old Manuel Neuer. That's right, guys. This week, we're talking the Bundesliga top four race. We're talking Frankfurt's night and day form compared to their first 12 fixtures and their last seven. We're going to move over to the Premier League, where we do have to talk about the racism. We're going to talk VAR controversy and all the midweek action. And we're going to have a look at the January transfer window as that slams shut. Well, uh, I think we'll start off right now with the top four in the Bundesliga. It was a little bit murky at, at one point because I think we, we, saw, we all saw Leipzig win against Leverkusen. We're like, okay, well... Second place then also pretty much sorted, isn't it? And now, you know, Wolfsburg managed to draw another, put up another three points on the board, which massive from them. I don't think anyone had Wolfsburg pegged to be fighting for a top four. No, I, it's, it's quite crazy. And you look at that, I think, yeah, Leipzig on 38 points has probably done. But from third down to seventh, maybe Union Berlin in eighth. It could go anyway, and as big as, as a team as Dortmund are, I think if you lose seven games in a season, you don't deserve Champions League football. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that assessment. Yeah, I mean, seven, seven matches, that is just massive. I mean, that's almost a quarter of the season's games lost. It's crazy. They had that horrendous run that led to Lucien Favre getting a sack. And it carried still, on after. I mean, yeah, they might have won at the weekend, but I mean, they played, they played Augsburg. They missed a penalty again. I think someone needs... Uh, it's something you don't want to practice. But They, they need it. <laughs> I was gonna say, they, there comes a time where you're going to have to because potentially get to a cup final or a cup tie <laughs> that goes to penalties and none of your players can take penalties. Who missed it that time? Was it Royce again? No, Roy's got taken off penalties after he missed two in a row, which, you know, I think any normal manager would have done. And then, you know, if you put your boy Wonder Erling Haaland on penalties, you'd expect he buries them. But I guess that just goes to show the 20-year-old still has a little bit of uh, growth to do before he becomes the world-class and the world's best number nine. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a glitch in the in the hardware of that monster. <laughs> uh, I think I couldn't have put it better myself, but I, yeah, I mean, I, if you look at the, the comparison between Lewandowski and Haaland, Lewandowski buries his penalties, no questions asked, and Haaland doesn't. But that'll come with experience. I think you, how yeah, many yeah. penalties has Lewandowski taken compared to Haaland? Way too many to count. I mean, we're also talking about a 12-year age gap, so... 
and the fact he's it's aged a like of... a fine wine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he he is another one of those, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo phenomenons that just doesn't seem to physically age. I'm going to ask you this question. Out of the teams from third to eighth, so that's Wolfsburg, Eintracht Frankfurt, Bayer Leverkusen, Dortmund, Gladbach, and Union, agreeing that Bayern and Leipzig are one and two, who takes the other two top four places? Well, I mean, you kind of said it already. It's going to be hard to choose, but I'd say I'd peg Frankfurt to make the dark horse appearance and get fourth. I don't think they'll get third. The, that's just, you know, the, the way, they've, the way they, they've already shown this season, you know, in match days one to 11, that they are capable of the odd misstep. I think at some point, you know, the season can't go that well. So I'd peg Frankfurt, you know, slip up a couple times more, but overall do quite well and get themselves up to fourth. And, you know, it's hard to say who gets third because right now the teams that we would have pegged to be fighting for third place or second, they're now stuck on rungs five through seven. You know, I, I would have said at the beginning of the season, Leverkusen, Dortmund, Gladbach are going to be the ones who are going to be fighting for second, third, and fourth. Now they're fighting for fifth, sixth, and seventh. So I think it's too hard to call for third because can Wolfsburg manage to keep this run of form up? Some would say yes. Some would say at some point the experience in the top games might come back to haunt them. I was going to say, you think experience would come. If you're going to be skeptical, Wolfsburg can't keep this going. And Dortmund's players who have been fighting for titles, not top four. You know, the, the experience in even the Frankfurt players from a couple of years ago that know what it is to yeah. be there. Yeah, I think, do you know what? I'll go out for a bold shout here and say that uh, Bayer Leverkusen still managed to make third. So Leverkusen and Eintracht Frankfurt, third and fourth. Yeah. Massive. It's hard to disagree with you. I would like Gladbach to get there. but I would as well. They're very hit and miss. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll also have to see what they do in the Champions League now because obviously with the break in Champions League, we don't know what their international form will be like. We don't know what kind of effect the midweek games, because Champions League, you know, as much as you can say, you know, yeah, we've had midweek games in the league and and with the cup, but Champions League midweek games are a completely different animal. And they, they rob you of not just physical, but also mental strength as well. And especially the mental bit because it is the Champions League. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Champions League football also plays out for Gladbach then once it starts up again. There we go. We'll leave that top four race to develop and we'll come back to it in a few weeks' time. But let's talk Eintracht Frankfurt and their seemingly night and day turn in form. Yeah, it's... I've I've rare I think I've rarely seen a team that can just bounce back like that because I think we saw a lot you know we saw a lot of teams who struggled in the first half of the season you know I think Hertha Berlin weren't that far off of Eintracht Frankfurt in the first half of the season but you know now Hertha Berlin are on 15th tied on points with Bielefeld and Köln and fighting for the re- fighting to stay off the relegation spot, and Frankfurt a third, or sorry, fourth now, 
with 33 points. And I think this, uh, this round of statistics, because we've said it before and we'll say it again, statistics, we love them here at AT Sports. The statistics of the match days 1 through 11 and then 12 through 18 are unbelievable. Take just the points per game. First half of the season, or the first half of the first half of the season, 1.2 points per game. Now they're at double that. They're at 2.4. Goals per game, they've doubled it. 1.5 goals per game to 2.7. Also, goals against per game, 1.7 goals to 1.1. It is just night and day. And I think the biggest one we have to talk about is the big opportunities taken. Not just created, but actually taken. and that is unbelievable 50% in the first half and 62% in the second. If that doesn't tell you where their goals are coming from, then don't know how to help you. It's mad because I can't picture or I can't think as to why that's happened. And it's not just because of Luka Jovic, because he's only been there three games. No, exactly. It's a, he, he definitely has helped, but he hasn't been, you know he's he's definitely not the guy who's who's all of a sudden being the kickstart to that unbelievable run of form. It's crazy, and they like well we said the teams that are fighting for the top spot they're all very hit and miss, and it's no different to Eintracht Frankfurt. They've lost some stupid games. Even drawing stupid games, like drawing with Freiburg. Oh, and drawing the first day, first match day of the season, drawing to drawing with Bielefeld. At that point, Bielefeld hadn't had a notch of Bundesliga experience in over ten years, and they drew with Frankfurt. And Frankfurt, you know, ever since they had that unbelievable run in the eighteen nineteen season, they've said, you know, it'll take us a little bit of time to compensate, you know, the players that we've sold but we still have that ambition to go back up to the top four or at least fight for Europa League. And, you know, they drew against Köln, who who have struggled basically all season. They got decked 5-0 by Bayern, and Bayern were struggling, uh, were still, you know, not at the top form at that point in the season because of the amount of games they'd played. You know, drawing to Bremen, who had problems then, Drew to Union Berlin, and that was a massive, massive comeback by uh, Frankfurt. They lost to Wolfsburg. It's not exactly been smooth sailing for them. It's, <clears throat> it's a weird one because they've also beaten Leverkusen and you know they've drawn with Leipzig and Dortmund as well, which is actually quite good results. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I mean, it's a weird season. You could argue the disruption because there wasn't a massive gap between last season and this one. Or maybe yeah. something's changed with the, co- with the coaching. Maybe they're trying something different and it's just clicked. Yeah, I don't know, because they, they seem, you know, from what I can tell from the, from the style of play that they've adopted, and specifically the, the formations, it hasn't changed all that much. They still play with a five at the back or a three at the back, depending on which way you put it. And, you know, with that, uh, with that, not exactly front three, you know, with two wide players, but more a, f- a striker in Silva and then Yunus and Kamada kind of slotting in as more center attacking mid positions rather than wingers. And then you've obviously got Kostic and Durm. So obviously, and then, you know, coming back, going backwards, Kostic kind of takes a more 
chill defensive approach, if you will, and Dom kind of becomes the right back in that situation because he's more defensively minded. But, you know, both players going forward, unbelievable. And now you obviously also have that Kostic to Jovic connection, which every player loved to watch during that fabled 18-19 season. Maybe that's it. Maybe Kostic has started to get more comfortable defensively. True, true. Because, I, mean, I mean, we've known that he's basically the person who makes it happen attacking-wise for Frankfurt. I mean, his connection to Andre Silva already. I mean, Andre Silva, he's set a new club record. 16 goals in 19 games. It's mad. And he's, I mean, that's, he's him setting the record. You have to think, you know, Jovic didn't set that record and he scored five in one game against Dusseldorf. <laughs> that's the thing. Maybe first half of the first half of the season, Kostic was, because it's a, well, it's a new role, newish role. Focused yeah. more on defending. So I thought, if I attack more, I'm going to leave the team exposed and I'll have to track back more. Yeah, yeah. And even, it could be something simple as just practicing finishing in training. Coach has gone, you're missing too many big chances. Get a sack of balls out and just score. Yeah, I mean, it's, because you also have to say there, uh, defensively, it's, you know, it's not anything unbelievable. Hinteregger, probably a solid center back. You know, I, I've said before, he's probably one of the better center backs the league has to offer. But around him, you know, Tuta, no one had any idea who this guy was before the season. And Indica had a great first season during the 18-19 season. And then last season, he kind of just tapered off and completely fell off his form. And, you know, Kamada coming back in all of a sudden, you know, he was basically written off during the 18-19 season, probably also for the 19-20 season. And now he's apparent, he's now starting basically every game. You know, it's, there have been a lot of things that have clicked for Frankfurt. And, you know, they're one of the coolest clubs right now going because they just do so much or get so much out of so very little. And that's also down to Freddy Borbic, their sporting director. I can't believe they let Danny DaCosta go on loan to Mainz, but personal preferences. <laughs> I, to be fair, he wasn't playing all that much, but then all of a sudden he shows at Mainz, you know, he's got the dynamic skill set that, you know, probably would have fit in at Frankfurt. But I think it's just the fact that he wasn't playing enough at Frankfurt because there are just so many more players who are now showing that they can play those positions. You know, Eric Dorm, no one understood why he signed for Frankfurt because he wasn't getting any game time either. And then all of a sudden he plays one good game and the manager was like, well, yeah, he was doing well in training. So we gave him some game time, played some real good game. Now he's starting, you know, that, and that was more or less around the time where they basically started to turn their season around. Mad. He's got a world cup winner's medal. Yeah. That, that, there's also a little fun known fact, you know, Dorm was part of that fabled 2014 world cup winning side for Germany. So what on earth? I bet he did. I bet he didn't play any games. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't get a single minute of game time. Wow. But you know, he can call himself a World Cup winner. Oh, you would though, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd have it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd have it at the end of my emails. Regards, <laughs> Eric Eric Durham, World Cup winner. <laughs> flex on him. Flex on him. <laughs> It's like if I was Harry Kane or Marcus Rashford, I've had M- I'd have MBE after my name on the back of my shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why not? If you can, you would. But yeah, there you go. You know, Frankfurt, that is maybe the turnaround of the season. And who would have pegged them to be sitting in top four on a Champions League spot? 
I would say after the first half of that of this season, it would just look like a miller, milling around mid-table team. But I'm glad that they've started to like switch on and it's going well because I do like Frankfurt. Yeah, they're great. They're they are a really fun team to watch, and I mean they were also you know the kings of the comeback last season. Well, there we go. Shall we move from Germany to England? Yeah, because we seem to have a lot more controversial issues coming from the Premier League for a change. Makes it... Oh, I don't know whether it's a, a good or a bad thing, really. Some some good, mostly bad. <laughs> yeah, depressingly so. We'll, we'll, we'll start with the bad. Yeah. Get that out of the way. And then we'll, we'll finish on a, on a light-hearted, fun note. Well, uh, as many of you have seen have seen on Twitter. I mean, it's basically been all over social media. Racism is alive and well in football. And, you know, I thought we might have at least five episodes maybe between, you know, us having to talk about racism again on this podcast. But, you know, obviously there are some dickheads in this world who seem to have not gotten a memo yet. Oh, it is is just infuriating. I mean, we had it with... Axel, it started off with Axel Twanzebe and Marcus Rashford. No, sorry, Anthony Martial getting abuse after the Sheffield game midweek. And then it went on with Reese James and Marcus Rashford again this match day. And also with Romain Sawyers. But the good thing about, well, I say the good thing, the, the positive outcome of the Romain Sawyers incident is that West Midlands police actually arrested the guy. Big up the West Midlands police. Big up West Midlands police, which I think is rare because I'm not saying if you're going to racially abuse someone, do it behind a a fake profile like everyone else that does it does because it's just cowardly. But how thick do you have to be? to have your name and your picture and then go and do something like that. It just gives you an idea of the type of person that does it. Exactly. I was about to say, just goes to show the people who are, who are the ones racially abusing players. They don't really have all that much between the ears. It's utterly ridiculous because uh, yeah, they lost five nil to man city. I think it was probably to be expected. The draw they got at the Etihad earlier in the season was like one of the upsets of the season. Yeah, yeah. You'd expect that result. But these people, I would say like fan reaction, but that's not a fan reaction. These people aren't football fans. It's like Martial and Tuanzebe had an absolute... Oh, yeah. Martial's not in the best of form at the moment. Didn't play very well against Sheffield United. Axel Tanzebi, the goal for the, the, the winning goal deflects off of him and goes in. Could happen to anyone. <laughs> if that is your reaction, if that is your standard reaction to that happening, you want your head checked. It's utterly ridiculous. I mean, Martial's wife got abused, for Christ's sake. Like, okay, there's, there's, a diff- there's one thing doing it because of a bad football performance. But I think if you, if you then attack their family members, that's a whole other level of scum. It's unbelievable. I, 
we keep saying this as well. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's basically, it's basically like beating. What's the phrase? Beating a dead, flogging a dead horse. That's the one. We keep saying it. The sanctions, like what? Every time you hear about this stuff in on social media, in the papers, wherever, you'd think that that would then all of a sudden also become a priority to actually criminally charge these people. You know, if if it's not going to sink in that you know they base that it's basically not being accepted by anyone in the wider community, then obviously it should be, you know, there should be some criminal action coming. There should be criminal charges. But, you know, the fact that we're saying big up the West Midlands police for more or less doing their job, arresting someone, that, that already shows, it says it all. You know, this stuff isn't policed properly, not just by the federations, but also by literally the police, the, the police forces themselves. It just needs to be a better job done of, you know, the reaction to, to these, to racial abuse. Yeah. I can understand people get annoyed when it's like, when people take the knee or, uh, clubs put like, oh, we're united against racism. Well, you should be, I'm united against people not stabbing people in the street. It's just, it's, you should be. And it's normal. <laughs> it's normal behavior to not be racist. And I do have some sympathy for the authorities because it is quite hard to arrest people that go behind a fake name and a fake picture. Like half these people, they've got pictures of the players they're abusing as their profile pictures. As if to add insult to injury. It's ah. Uh... Like, yeah, I was angry with the way that United played and the way they lost to Sheffield United. But my reaction isn't to get my phone out and racially abuse half the team. Because people, there's there's all that joke. It's like, oh, well, Chelsea are racist. Chelsea fans are racist. But honestly, people say, historically, it's all Chelsea fans are racist. Chelsea fans are racist. But... There's the minority of every fan base. And yeah, it's, it's not an anomaly. It's not an anomaly. And that's the worst bit. You know, it's every single fan base seems to have these idiots in there. And, you know, they'll, as you said, they're, they're ready to go to great lengths, you know, using the player they're racially abusing as their profile pictures to not get caught. It's so cowardly and you know you can't say it enough but it's just it shouldn't like those people do not deserve to be anywhere near the game of football in any form or fashion no uh but it's it's more difficult because these people are like they're in the comfort of their own home behind fake name and that but my favorite one was just two years ago i think it might have been two years ago now uh, Manchester Derby at the Etihad. Some thick mong was making monkey gestures at Fred. The cameras caught it, and people, and literally everyone on Twitter was like, Who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Can we find him? He was exposed, he was sacked, and he was, uh, I think he was arrested as well. Good. So there, there are, well, that's easier to police when you've got footage of it happening. Well, obviously. 
obviously. I'm sick and sort of talking about it, but we have to because otherwise they win. You said it before um, in another episode. You know, there's not a lot two people behind a microphone can do, but keep bringing awareness to uh, to it or a, keep bringing awareness about it. But you know, as long as this stuff keeps happening, we're going to keep beating the same drum because obviously there are still too many people out there who keep thinking that this is okay and keep doing it. And those people should be tasered in the bollocks. Oh yes. That, okay. That, now you just, now you just said what everyone is actually thinking, you know, screw the PC version. Cause that's no fun. <laughs> so let's move away from that sour topic. And oh, let's yeah. talk. Oh, it's... Your favorite, favorite punching bag. <laughs> your favorite and mine. Let's talk VAR. Oh, yes. I don't like Southampton. But I <laughs> really feel for them. Oh, my yeah. God. What is the point in having it? If things like that happen. So if you live under a stone or like have been on some sort of trendy social media cleanse and you haven't seen the two incidents that happened at St. Mary's on Saturday. So like third minute in the Bulls played into the Aston Villa box and Stuart Armstrong goes to shoot and Matty Cash's arm is stuck out. He moves in to like the direction of the ball hits his arm and VAR said, oh, no, not a penalty at all. Couldn't possibly be a penalty. Villa then score on the stroke of half-time to make it 1-0. Ross Barkley scored a header. And then, so add insult to injury and rub salt into the wound. Danny Ings scored an injury-time equaliser that was then chalked off because his shirt sleeve was in front of Tyrone Ming's ass. Yeah, you know, we keep having these discussions where we're like, okay, well, if his toe is offside, technically he can score with his toe. Or, you know, if his knee's offside, yes, he can score with his knee. Then if, if it's in an offside position, as crazy as that rule sounds, you know, bam, it's offside. That's at least, you know, it, it's logical you can figure out where they come from, but you cannot score. You cannot legally score a goal in this game with your arm and his arm, which was gesturing where he wanted the ball to be played was the only thing that was offside. It's stupid. In theory with this offside rule, you should be able to run around like a toddler with your arms out in front of you. And as long as it is from your forearm down, that's offside, that's fine. You shouldn't be penalized for that. It's ridiculous. Even the shirt sleeve. I'm sorry. Like, okay. If he's actually got his shoulder in an offside position, but for that to happen, he'd already have to be making the run. And then by, by default, his head's also going to be in an offside position. Okay. Yeah. Then I get it. 
but he's gesturing where the ball is supposed to be played. His literally what is offside is about halfway up his bicep down, like everything from halfway, halfway up his bicep and below to his fingertips is in an offside position, but that's not something you can score with. So how, how, how is that being called offside? You know, what, what do these people do in the van? Like, do they, they must be letting up a joint every time. And then, and then basically say, Oh yeah, you know what? I'm going to call that offside because I just see something is behind that calibrated line. doesn't matter that the, that it's his arm. I'm just going to call it. I, seriously, it's a joke. Well, I don't want to like, you know, blow my own trumpet, but I, I tweeted yesterday. Uh, so there was a picture of the two decisions and I tweeted yesterday uh, full time on Stevie Wonder's Premier League refereeing debut. Uh, it's hard to I'm, argue. <laughs> well, and, and I'm noticing a theme here because I don't know whether we spoke about it, but Wolves boss, Nuno, criticized Lee Mason about two, three weeks ago now because he had an absolute shocker and he was fined for it. Yeah. As you would expect, cause the FA just, Oh no, he's one of our own. We can't have him criticized. Uh, and Lee Mason was the referee at Southampton, Aston Villa. Get the guy off the pitch. And it's just out. It's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, Nuno shouldn't have been fined for his observation about Lee Mason. He should have been paid for it. His observation? Wow. If it's an observation, how do you get fined for that? Well, it's an he, observation. It's... He slagged him off in his post-match. Yeah, yeah, but still, if the official FA Cup, or if the if official FA wording is that he was fined for an observation made about the match, then that makes zero sense. Because what are, what are we now not allowed to do? Make actual like actual observations about stuff that's going on in a match, well, you'll get fined for it. So what are you supposed to do in the post-match interview? Not talk about the game? Well, it comes back to what we've said a few times. So I, we think you should be able to, okay, okay, maybe not like completely destroy and just bitch and moan about them constantly. But if you have a referee, likely Mason, who's had an absolute shocker, multiple times this season you should be able to report them to the fa like we do in sunday league yeah sunday league you you mark you basically rate the ref if you can do it in sunday league what what is the problem with doing it in the premier league i mean it's not that hard they've got too much protection because no one likes referees yeah, but if you know you've got people like Lee Mason running around doing all that stuff, you know, if obviously they're not going to like them. The reason referees aren't liked is because the the crap ones keep getting the whistle put in their hand from big matches. You know, if if you're not a good referee, you should not be refereeing at the top level, and then the problem solved. Because if you kick out all the bad referees, you're not going to have as much stuff for fans to have a dig at. It's so stupid, and but again. As bad as Lee Mason was, you have to question why VAR didn't tell him to go and have a look. Because, exactly, in, in my opinion, you might disagree with me on this, but if you've got some nitty in a van in Stockley Park in Uxbridge going, oh no, that wasn't a penalty. Oh no, that definitely wasn't a handball. That defeats the object of having a referee. You might as well just not have anyone there. 
Yeah. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you there because I think the whole point of the, you know, the VAR is that, you know, if the referee misses something in a match, the VAR can go and point out, say, hold on there, ref. I think you've missed something. Go check it. Yeah. But then tell him to check it. They didn't do that. They just went, oh no, that's not handball. Or, oh no, that's okay. Well, then what's the then what is the point of the VAR? What is the point? Because at least in, in Germany, they actually say, you know, if if there's a missed call, they'll have a look at it. And if they go, I don't think that's a handball, then they'll literally, they'll literally walkie talkie into the headset of the referee on the pitch and be and say, you know, Mr. So and so, I believe you missed a call there. Go and have a look. So why doesn't that work in why doesn't that work in the UK? Uh, because our officials are incompetent and can't do their job properly. I mean, we know VAR isn't perfect and it's never gonna be, and it's definitely also done some good. But if it's missing simple crap like that, then what is the point of having it around? I've got one positive, one little positive. <laughs> you take you you pick your battles and you you take what you can get, but. We're both 23. We are now officially allowed to say to people younger than us, back in my day. <laughs> are you just trying to make us sound old? Yeah. You know, back in my day, we didn't have VAR. And you think the goals that wouldn't have been scored? Like Darren Bent against Liverpool when it cannoned off that beach ball. Oh wow! <laughs> and when oh no, that, that was one of those slapstick goals ever. I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that going. Jesus, there's no way that was stand. <laughs> I'm sorry, but how do you even? Okay, you shouldn't even need a VAR for that. Like that's just how do you? How would you miss that as a referee? You literally have a referee have to go like, "All right, guys, I, that, you can't be serious." Again, our officials are incompetent. And can't do their jobs right. Oh Jesus Christ! I okay, watched, I think <laughs> I just last. I watched the Italian uh, Super Cop, Super Copa, uh, the, the Milan derby. Yeah, and oh my God, that was horrendous officiating. And then the rest. Okay, so it's went not just the UK injured. <laughs> but even after that, I'd probably rather have him refereeing than Lee Mason and David Coote. Oh my God. <laughs> So, so just, just, uh, just for everyone's general knowledge, Bill's hit list now includes two referees. It's going to keep growing. Oh, it's going to keep growing. Find <laughs> these men. Find them. Start some revolution. You've now, you've now got the, uh, the, referee, the, the bad referee hit squad. Comprised of one fan from every single Premier League club. Well, if a player has an absolute shocker, you, you don't play them in the next game. And yeah, some referees do get bumped down to lower divisions. Do it to more of them. Yeah, the accountability for bad performance in the refereeing department is just so, so off. It's so far, it's so below par. I would ask how they sleep at night, but they probably just sort of switch themselves off. They're just that. I'm sorry. They're getting paid, what, 10 grand a match to officiate? I'm pretty sure they sleep pretty, pretty nice. well. Pretty damn well. Yeah. 
you know, when you've got one fat stack under your pillow. Duck egg pillow. Duck egg? Duck feather pillows. <laughs> duck egg pillows. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, the pooper reel is going to be good on this one, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that a shocker. But let's okay, leave, but we'll, yeah. let's leave, leave the punching bags and VAR. The, mid, the midweek is more or less going to be comprised of title race again, but specifically title race at the top of the league. We said it before, or basically, basically before already the Sheffield game, you were already saying, you know, United cannot drop points, cannot drop points. City still have a game in hand. It is so tight up there. Now, United have gone and had the surprise upset of the season, losing to bottom of the table Sheffield. That just right off the top, already not putting them in the greatest greatest position. But now with United tying against Arsenal, that nil-nil draw, is it safe to say that this week saw Manchester United's title hopes evaporate? Yes, because City still have that game in hand. And are now three points clear. Yeah, I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Everyone was, our oh, Pep's finished. City are done. You're just poking a sleeping bear. And it's just utterly stormed through. No Aguero. Gabriel Jesus has barely played. I was about to say, he has been off it. But then Ilkay Gundogan, freaking seven goals in eight matches in the Prem from a central midfielder. He's turned into Yaya Torre 2011. Yeah. And John Stones is the Barnsley Beckenbauer. He's just a renaissance of underwhelming players. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if they brought Gail Clichy and Negredo back. And then uh, also, oh, I, he, I've just had a brain fart. His name. What is his name? Uh, there we go. You know, Zinchenko becomes one of the best left backs in the Prem. <laughs> yeah, Zinchenko becoming Roberto Carlos. That, that's all that's needed right now. I mean, Good one. I would never say he was, you know, a really bad player, but for all the hype that went around him, he kind of went under the radar a little bit because also Kevin De Bruyne obviously is the player that he is. But, you know, since De Bruyne's injury, he stepped up big time. Uh, it's ridiculous. You think uh, this is going to sound really salty and I can't help it. They have a really off start to the season, and you think, finally. <laughs> then they wake up with that win against Chelsea, and it just completely steamrolls from there. And then Kevin De Bruyne gets injured. Like, yes. And, it doesn't, and, and it, it makes no break. difference. <laughs> it makes no difference. <laughs> if Bruno Fernandes got injured against Southampton on Tuesday, United season would be over. They tried yeah, you're to rest him against Southampton didn't work and had to bring him on. Tried to rest him against West Ham. Didn't work and had to bring him on. You know. I did see a, a good uh, post on Instagram with Carlton Cole commenting on West Ham signing Thomas Suchek. He's been immense, pound for pound, a better signing than Bruno Fernandes. Have a day off. <laughs> that man got paid I, to say that. 
Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree because Bruno Fernandes has had an impact like very, very few players in Premier League history, not just, you know, in United's history, but Premier League history, very, very few. But that being said, you can't discard the fact that West Ham, who for the majority of the time since Dimitri Payet basically left them, have been ghosting around 15th, 16th, sometimes even slipping as far as the relegation spots, and they are now fifth. The two it's points above Tottenham. It's interesting because last year they finished on 39 points. And they've already got 35 after 21 games. I'm actually lost for words because the West Ham that I was watching the last four years did not seem to have this in them. And they've, I mean, just goes again, it goes to show again, this season could bring anything, anything. I, I don't know. You'd like, well, we said this about six or seven weeks ago. <laughs> Maybe there'll be some sort of normality start to show, but no, batshit this season. To be fair, the normality is starting to show right now is the fact that Liverpool and City have seemed to have gotten their act together. And now Liverpool, you know, we're making all this big fuss about the fact that, oh, they haven't scored in the Prem in 2021. And, oh, they're, you know, they dropped to sixth or seventh even. This is going so, so badly for them. Yeah, okay, they're up to third again. And they're one point behind second place United and four points behind City. So uh, they seem to have kind of broken the like broken the string of bad performances with that win over Tottenham. And it's City Liverpool on Sunday. Big match, guys. Big match. We will of course be commenting on that. But I I do before we move on, I do just want to give some credit to Sheffield United. Because it it was as bad as United were, Sheffield United were they just wanted it more. Yeah, it's not the size of the it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. I like that. Who did you nick that from? Oh, I, I don't know actually. What movie is that from? <laughs> <laughs> but they had to sit you know back and take a lot of. You know, they had to. T- they had, they took a lot. Yeah. yeah, and they took their chances when they had them. You know, from there from their two corners, they scored from one. And um, I mean, the winner, just a schoolboy defending. Like, no one closed him down. Oli Burke, not known for his goals. Yeah, no, definitely not. But I think the, the perfect picture for basically this week has been the fact that Manchester City and Manchester United both fighting for the top uh, for top of the league in the last few matches and in one week united lose to sheffield united while city beat sheffield united and even though city didn't produce a glamorous performance against sheffield they still managed to get the job done yeah all right well... no hey, yeah unbiased opinion bill <laughs> unbiased opinion <laughs> It was a it was a, a good a well managed performance from Man City. I did watch the highlights, and basically they did what United didn't do, which was frustrating because it's so easy. It's like just keep the ball, 
It was so <laughs> passive and so... I mean, City weren't amazing. They scored early on. I think if United had scored early on, it probably changes that result. Yeah, yeah. But then again, this City team have won things that United team haven't. So it goes back to that whole mentality thing. And just having the experience to see a set a certain situation through. Just like we said all the time with Bayern, you know, they may have been playing like crap, but they still managed to get nine points in three matches. Well, whereas other teams bottled it. Exactly. And I'll, before we move on to transfers, I'll leave you with one final thought. That this United team, I don't think, has the bottle for a, a title challenge because that Liverpool team was there for the taking at Anfield. Yes, they won in the FA Cup, but they were there for the taking at Anfield. Didn't yeah. put any pressure on them at all. That Arsenal side, you've got to be taking those chances. You can't be happy with a nil-nil against the top six team. So that's Arsenal, uh, Liverpool. Arsenal and Liverpool away, Chelsea and City at home, all been nil-nil. That isn't good enough if you, if you want to win the league. Hopefully it changes, but we can move on and let's talk transfers. I think we're going to have to start off with one of the biggest ones. And I think for me, it's just the biggest one because of how little was actually paid. And that is the transfer of Damari Gray from Leicester City to Bayer Leverkusen. Two million euros, not pounds. Two million euros. And to be fair, Leicester bought him at the time when he was about 18 from Birmingham City. And they bought him for about 5.1 million euros. It's a little bit hard to understand what's going on because this season, Demar Gray has had more performances, performances in the Premier League 2 than the actual Premier League. And, you know, during my time at university, for instance, this guy was regularly getting into that Leicester City squad and the starting 11. No, it's weird because he was... Well, it happens so often in England, the next big thing. I think... England, <laughs> the media hype. Yeah, we have a tendency over here to overhype young players. But he was doing really well in his first season for Leicester. I mean, I remember Leicester lost the game three-one at Old Trafford, but he just cut inside, and he it, this was about twenty-five yards out over De Gea, arguably when he was in his prime. So he's not an average player. I, a lot of Leicester managers have come and gone since then. Yeah, yeah. And he, well, he obviously doesn't fit into what Brendan Rodgers wants, which is why he's on to Leverkusen. But I think he's got someone like Leon Bailey, who he can probably learn a lot from, and Bellarabi as well. And yeah, I, I'd even argue Musa Diaby um, from, I think they're all very similar players, you know, quick wingers technically well-versed um just it just fits into the overall package that Leverkusen are looking for for their attacking players because if you look at if you look at what they've got you know with Nadim Amiri, Karim Belarabi, Musa Diaby, Leon Bailey those are all very very technical players with a ton of speed and 
you know, I think Damari Gray will definitely profit off of that. And he's in an environment also in Leverkusen where I'd argue there is not as much pressure as playing in the Premier League at the minute. As sad as, as, sad as it sounds, I don't think there's going to be, the, I don't think there's the same pressure. I think especially for Leicester, who have aspirations of being top four. Yeah. It's probably very difficult for Brendan Rodgers to go, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll throw you in, even though you're not who I want to play. I mean, you could also argue the flip side of this coin and say that Bayer Leverkusen also have aspirations for top four in the Bundesliga, which is no cinch. But I think... There's something about the media in England that just has a certain toxic trait when it comes to young players and the pressure. The German media is not, you know, is by no means, you know, all a bed of roses or anything, but it's still not as as vicious as it is in as it is in the UK. I don't think. Oh God, no! I think if Dortmund don't get top four, watch it be Jaden Sancho and Jude Bellingham's fault. Oh, the the you can just see the Daily Mirror already making that the headline. Trash paper. But moving on to another transfer that has definitely raised some eyebrows. Hertha Berlin, who have been struggling the whole time, are signing none other than World Cup winner, former Real Madrid man, and now former former Juventus man, Sami Khedira, for their midfield. Why? It's just another defensive midfielder that they don't need. And I'd also argue a defensive midfielder who is far from his prime and is probably looking more at a chance of rejuvenating his own career with this than, you know, in any way helping Berlin. I say he doesn't play for Juve anymore, does he? Yeah, I mean, he's basically been in and out of the squad. You know, there have been a bunch of games where he hasn't even made the roster for the game. You know, it's it's not been going well for him. It's not been going well for the Berlin. Hey, maybe there's a match made in heaven. <laughs> but speaking of Hertha Berlin, so I, oh, sorry. No, I know. I was. I think. I think we're going to touch on the same thing. But if he, if they sign Milo Ratchet, sir, that's the next one. Yeah, I think they probably. In my opinion, I want them to go down because there's only so much you can do by throwing money at a problem. Uh, take a look at Barcelona, <laughs> Real Madrid. <laughs> to some extent, just, just, Chelsea. To some extent, Chelsea, exactly. To some extent, United in the past few years, obviously now now this, year, this season around with Bruno Fernandes, there's actually been some money well spent. But also definitely United in the past few years. I mean, arguably a lot of Premier League teams in the past few seasons have been guilty of that. Throwing money at a problem until it stops at some point. And it's just a lot of money wasted. But, you know, I'd say out of those two signings, Ratchitsa definitely has a bigger chance of making an impact for Berlin than Semi Kidira does. Because Ratchitsa has actually proven time and time again that for Vera Brim, he's basically their star player. Yeah, you got to think. There's the reason he was, he's leaving Werder Bremen is probably because if he does leave, they will have offered him more money. And, and they need the cash. Literally. And you look at... 
I, I really don't like him. But Ma- Matteo Genduzzi as well. Did he not fight <laughs> with someone this weekend or last weekend? Did he not have an argument? He had an argument because uh, the, the Berlin Stadium is famed for having an escalator that goes from the players, uh, from the players' dressing rooms down towards the pitch. And there was a very heated conversation going on between Mateus Cunha and Matteo Guendozzi during that, well, I think it was, a, this, it's hard to call it anything other than a smacking against uh, Hoffenheim 3 0. <laughs> but yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not saying it's all rosy at Berlin at the minute. But I think we can move on to our final pick. And it's kind of transfers, kind of not. But the rumors around Lionel Messi just don't seem to let up. And now the latest leak showing that this guy, I mean, for all the talent he has and the fact that he may be the best player to ever have played this game, that man does not worth 555 million euros over four years. That is stupid money. And Barcelona wonder why they're financially ruined. They're a billion euros in debt to different creditors. They still haven't paid off Arturo Vidal to Bayern. Oh, mad. Barcelona are suing the newspaper that printed it. I mean, that's not going to go get very far because if there is actual evidence of them paying Messi 555 million, that is going to get struck down in court. The second the judge sees the proof, because <laughs> the paper is not doing anything bad unless they, you know, obviously unless they obtain the information illegally. But you know, if the information was obtained illegally and it is actual proof, then Barcelona are screwed. <laughs> yeah, he's the best player, but the way the the uh, the way that Barcelona are at the moment, you've got to say it's not worth to keep him. He's already, he was already with one foot out the door at the, at the end of last season. I just get rid of him at this point. I mean, it's saving you, what, over 100 mil in salary a year? If that paper is to be believed? He's on four euros a second. What the hell? No one. Okay, at, at our uni job, we made £7.80 an hour. And this guy's making four euros a second. And that was practically slave labor. This man. <laughs> exactly. We were rolling massive tables around a ballroom. And this that guy is getting, he's playing the greatest sport on earth. Oh. 500, that's, it's, it's an obscene amount. And it's like that it's like that analogy of the snake eating its own tail you can't keep it up and it it really is coming back to bite them now because they're not doing great ronald koeman couldn't get the players he wanted in without selling players that nobody wants anyway (laughs) because they're paying messi 139 million euros a year it's 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 the polar opposite. I mean, it's a crap. It is a crap deal in the sense that um, I'm going to pull a little analogy here from from the NBA, 
where Scotty Pippen, when he was negotiating his contract, he negotiated a contract for 18 million over seven years because he wanted financial security. In that sense, Barcelona wanted the security of keeping Lionel Messi. And to do so, made sure that he would stay there by paying him obscene amounts of money. But now that's come to bite them in the ass the same way it came to bite Scottie Pippen in the ass because Scottie Pippen was maybe the second best player in the NBA at the, at the time, but he was one of the worst paid players. And now Barcelona is in such debt and half the debt is because of one player and because they're paying this one player so much money. I mean, Messi could literally afford to bail out Barcelona and still be one of the richest people on this planet. Well, that's the thing. Even if he goes, they still owe him a loyalty bonuses and things like that. And it's not as bad as this, but there's a, a baseball player called Bobby, Bobby Benilla who, who in 2000, he signed a deal through to 2035 and he gets paid $1.2 a year every year on July the 1st, and he has not played in a fair old while. So he doesn't play anymore. Who is this guy's agent? Because I think I need him to negotiate my job contract. <laughs> Bobby Benilla retired in 2001. <laughs> Wait, he signed the contract in 2000, and he, got, and he retired in 2001. So he basically, he played for one year, but his, contract, he, but his contract made sure that he was getting paid through to 2035. Wow. Give that agent a raise. (laughs) It's shithousery at its finest because who signed off on that deal? I'm pretty sure he got fired the next day, didn't he? The minute he retired, that guy who made the deal got fired. Oh, he must have done. Yeah, you say that about Messi. It's like they offer him so much a week because no other team would would pay him that much. Yeah, but I think at this point, if Messi actually does love Barcelona as much as he says he does, he would actually opt to help them out of the debt. You know, first and foremost, say, I don't want you guys to pay me. And second of all, actually help them out of the debt. Because if anyone can, it's Messi. I mean, Messi literally has, he's probably got more money than he can spend in 10 lifetimes at this point. Because you just have to, you just have to imagine that 555 million, that's only over the last four years. Messi's career has gone on at such a level where he's already being paid obscene amounts of money for over 10 years before that. So that 555 mil over the last four years, it's, I mean, it's basically just the, the cherry on top. So he could literally afford to basically write off all the debt that Barcelona has, and he'd still be richer than God. I think that's probably a good place to leave it before you go yeah. purple in the face with rage. Pretty much. right guys don't forget to subscribe like share comment do your thing on social media we are ever so grateful we always have new content coming out on the daily check instagram and twitter for that but thanks very much for listening guys keep calm love a beautiful game